Welcome to AZ TechCast, sponsored by the Arizona Technology Council, with your hosts, Steve Zylstra and Karen Nowitz. AZ TechCast is dedicated to covering innovation and technology in Arizona and beyond. Broadcasted monthly, AZ TechCast invites leading experts to have real conversations about what is happening in the tech sector across the state of Arizona. From regional news to innovative startups, companies, and emerging technologies, AZ TechCast covers the critical issues and economic trends propelling the state's growing tech ecosystem. Arizona's business-friendly environment, weather, and affordability have made it a hot spot for tourism and inbound migration for decades. But in post-pandemic world, where an estimated 269 people are moving to Arizona each day, the real estate market is experiencing unexpected surge in demand that is affecting the availability and affordability and inventory. And with that, welcome to Phoenix Business Radio X. I'm Karen Nowicki, president and owner of Phoenix Business Radio X, and I'd like to welcome you to this episode of AZ TechCast, sponsored by the Arizona Technology Council. The AZ TechCast is dedicated to covering innovation and technology in Arizona and beyond. Broadcasted monthly, AZ TechCast invites tech and business experts to have real conversations about what's happening across the state of Arizona. AZ TechCast discusses critical issues, topics, and trends propelling the state's growing tech ecosystem. So please join me in giving a warm welcome to today's featured guest. We have Ryan Egan, who is the founder and CEO of Stackhouse. Welcome, Ryan. Thank you for having me. I'm hoping I pronounced your last name correctly. Please tell me I did. <laughs> it was absolutely perfect. Thank I you. <laughs> I usually check ahead of time. I didn't get to do this. So now I'm going to give it a try with Bill Gleason, who's the VP at, of President Development at Apostle Tech. Welcome, Bill. Thank you. Glad to be here. And Dusty Parsons, Chief Marketing Officer with Habitat for Humanity, Central Arizona. Welcome. Thanks for having me, Karen. Hello, everyone. We are excited about today's conversation. These accomplished real estate leaders join Steve Zalstra, President and CEO of Arizona Technology Council, in discussing the innovative prop tech solutions that are helping to stabilize Arizona's housing market. We have a lot of interesting content to cover, so let's dive in. And I always like to start by asking each of you to briefly introduce yourselves and the role that you play in your organization and how that impacts the technology ecosystem. Uh, I, if we could, let's start with Steve as for our listeners and, and for those of you who haven't had a get to know him. Let's have Steve introduce himself, and then we'll move on with Ryan next. Hello, everyone. It's great to be here, as always. Um, I'm Steve Zalstra, the president and CEO of the Arizona Tech Council. Uh, we're a statewide uh, technology trade association. Uh, we represent about 750 technology companies across the state. We do about 150 events uh, a year. We do public policy on behalf of the tech industry at the state and federal level. And we negotiate lower cost products and services for our members and uh, love this TechCast podcast. And uh, we have some great guests today. So thank you, Karen. Thank you. And those events are live again this year, right? We For a while there, we were saying we typically have <laughs> this many events and now we're doing them online. But for the past, what, six to nine months? A lot of them Actually, have been back in person. since June of last year. It's coming so. up on a year. Yeah. Yeah. All that. It's got to feel great. I know you just had a great event last night. All right. So, Ryan, if you want to tell us a little bit about yourself, and then we'll continue on with Dusty and Bill. Sure. Thank you for having me again. I'm Ryan Egan. I'm the CEO and founder of Stackhouse. We are a modular um, container home uh, solution that will allow you to buy one home and take it with you anywhere your life takes you. 
I came up with the idea when I was building condos in San Francisco, and I've been pursuing the project ever since. And I'm also a born and raised Arizonan. Ah, well, welcome home. Are you here? No, I'm out uh, looking at land in Austin right now. Okay, mobile. I'll be back soon. <laughs> yeah, always, yes. just like my housing. And where and where in Arizona? I was born and raised in Tucson. So, okay. well, yeah. welcome, Bill Thank or you. Dusty. Yeah, my name is Dusty. I handle uh, marketing and media for the Central uh, Central Arizona affiliate for Habitat for Humanity, and we've been building uh, homes and repairing homes here in the Valley since 1985. Just excited to be here. We we know there's more efficient ways to build homes than with uh, thousands of inexperienced volunteers. <laughs> we're really <laughs> we're really. Uh, Happy to be here to uh, stand shoulder to shoulder with these with these tech folks. Thank you. And I guess uh, I'm last here, uh, Bill Gleason from Apostle Tech. Um, I handle the sales for Apostle Tech. And really what we do, we work with home builders and construction companies in creating efficiencies, not only in their technology stack, but also in their customer journeys. So we have worked with the likes of Taylor Morrison, Shea Holmes, so large home builders, as well as uh, small local and regional builders in different parts of the country. And most notably, I guess we've also done some international work with uh, builders that are both here and in Canada. Excellent. So in the intro, I mentioned that there's an estimated 269 people moving to Arizona every day. What are the post-pandemic trends that have led to this influx of inbound migration? And again, we're just going to let the conversation flow. So I'll always pose a question, or Steve will, and then we'll just uh, let y'all jump in there. And we might trip over each other, but that's okay. We do that in normal conversations anyway. Right. What are the post-pandemic trends that have led to this influx of inbound migration? Any thoughts or research on that? Well, I think from a technology standpoint, things that weren't available to people in the past or ways of doing business in the past were tr- traditionally maybe face-to-face have become more synonymous with things like this, Zoom, right? Podcasts, how do we get deals done quicker, faster? Um, and with that technology, you know, we've helped a lot of our customers in that perspective, right? How do we do things without being present, uh, physically present? And in that, I think it's done a lot of great things for companies and organizations. Um, We can look at the pandemic as something very negative, but if you take a positive approach and silver lining, right, that's one of them. Uh, I think the, one of the downsides, and I I would probably say my staff would probably feel this well, is I think people putting a lot more hours in as well, right? Because you're working from home, you don't have the commutes anymore. You know, when does a Zoom meeting start? Is it on time, like normal meetings used to be, or is it 10 minutes early? Because Everybody's on, getting everything set up, and next thing you know, you're five minutes early, and the meeting's already starting. Like, whoa, wait, I'm a little late. So, um, but yeah, I think that's one of the great trends that have come out of this post-pandemic. We've certainly had to learn a lot. I mean, bringing people together to build homes um, was is just critical to our mission. And when uh, when we couldn't get together, it impacted our culture, and it certainly impacted our work. We had to sub out a lot of our work, but we know, like every other challenge, um, it's going to take uh, collaboration and a little creativity. Um, since all our meetings were on Zoom, anyways, we were. Um, speaking with counterparts in Germany, and we were able to undertake our first 3D printed home in Tempe, Arizona. And it was the, it was the first. And I just don't think like, uh, like you had said, Bill, if, if we hadn't um, been on Zoom, we probably wouldn't have been having those conversations. We had, we probably wouldn't have been thinking differently. And uh, 
now the home is done, whereas a year ago, it, it seemed almost impossible. And, and now it's done and there's a family living there. Example of how uh, challenges sometimes drive innovation, uh, which is what the tech industry is all about. I'm, I'm sure you've all noticed the uh, incredible growth of the technology and manufacturing sectors here in Arizona and the influx of people as a, as a consequence of that growth and, and for other reasons. And of course, that's affected uh, housing prices in a significant way. How has it affected the availability of affordable uh, housing here in Arizona? That's critical as we move forward as a state. It's all been soaked up. Uh, <laughs> I mean, there there is none, um, especially when you're no longer just competing with um, people who maybe got a promotion and want to move into that neighborhood, but you're competing with people who have decided that they prefer Phoenix to New York City and they no longer have to live near their office. Um, they can pay a lot more than anyone else who uh, has a traditional uh, Phoenix-based job. And so that's driven prices up everywhere. And then the hesitancy to overbuild that came out of the last recession also means that we're sort of lagging in housing stock. Um, so we have sort of two pressures acting at the same time. And, and to add to that, I mean, think about it, the interest rates that have just taken a hike, right? So yep. as interest rates go up, you know, affordability of homes that are already outrageous here are, are becoming more and more unattainable for people in the affordable housing market. So I think we were just rated... Four of our cities just rated in the top 25 out of the most overinflated real estate in the country. So I think that kind of answers the question, where the affordable housing went, it isn't here or not even close by. I tell people it went where it snows. <laughs> no, thank <Right>? you. <laughs> exactly. Dusty, your, your organization is focused on uh, creating uh, affordable housing. I'm sure it's impacted you significantly. The demand has got to have risen precipitously. Oh my gosh, yes. Before we even build a wall or sink a nail, there's, I mean, there's a lot of red tape. There's a lot of infrastructure cost. Uh, we can spend quite a bit of time and money even before a slab is poured or a family is um, selected. So we try to work very closely with the city, city of Tempe, um, <laughs> city of Phoenix, all the municipalities, and work with them uh, if there's an infill lot that we can scrape and um, activate that tax base for the city. They like that. We feel like nothing activates a space better than uh, two bedrooms and two baths. You know, how has this situation where housing is going sky high uh, affected the real estate industry? You know, realtors especially and uh, the industry as a whole has also had had to had a dramatic effect on that industry. Yeah, I'd say realtors are pretty happy, or at least they were for a while, right? Inflated home prices are creating larger commissions for them. And then we get to a point now where the active inventory just keeps declining. So now they need to look at other ways to market and find inventory quickly in order to keep their pipeline full. So you know, I, I wonder if there's a way to look at technology as a way to help solve some of these issues that we're looking at from, there's a lot of issues, right? It's the efficiencies that need to be created in what Dusty was saying. As he's going through the process, they spent a ton of money before they even pour a foundation. So how can we utilize technology or something new, think creatively to create this process 
whereby we can do things to keep costs down to create more affordability in the homes, right? Obviously, supply chain is a huge issue right now. I don't think any one of us on this call can control that. I don't think technology is going to control that. That is just what it is But when we talk about raw materials. However, as we talk about other ways, you know, is it building, is it building as Ryan's doing, right? Were you building homes that are mobile? Is it using more green recycled materials? Uh, if we take a look at our country versus other countries and the waste created in the building process, right? Can we reduce that? Uh, I went to a conference, I guess, probably about two years ago now, maybe three. And they were saying in Japan, a 3,000 square foot house, the waste fits in a 55 gallon drum. So when you start talking about that manufacturing process, you know, there are home builders out there that are vertically integrated, right? And, and pre-manufactured homes are becoming more and more, uh, not only are affordable, but much more aesthetically pleasing than they used to be. So, you know, I think there's some challenges that we face moving forward, but by utilizing some technologies, whether it be on the manufacturing side or, you know, on an ERP side or just communication in general, I think we can create some of that more affordable housing. Any thoughts? Yeah, uh, I'm a huge proponent of modular housing, um, which is the greatest barrier to it is the local municipal regulation because you you can get something approved at a state level, um, but even that is state by state by state by state. And we need some kind of national code that acknowledges that, yes, every city is slightly different, but if we increase the insulation factor of all of the homes to X, then that house can be shipped anywhere in the entire nation and be dropped in place. The fact that we don't have that adds a considerable amount to the cost. All of those, the unforeseen things, those are the things that really drive up cost um, and eliminate the ability to streamline the process and eliminate waste. Um, That's why, I mean, Stackhouse is kind of a bridge for that. Um, We build a tower that conforms to the local code and then build individual housing units that are manufactured homes so that their 50 state legal MP can be moved into any market. But we recognize that for now, at least, we're going to need to build that multifamily structure to the local code. Is there um, an opportunity to accelerate the permitting process? Because that seems to be, you know, a, a part of the problem and uh, how long it takes. Uh, Dusty inferred that in in his comments. Uh, Has there been effort to try and accelerate uh, by any cities or states? I have a client in Texas that was able to go in, buy some land, and get it approved for modular homes in seven days. And because Mm. inventory had gone down to literally one day of inventory, and they were looking for affordable housing, they were literally telling my client, look, build, build now and put this up. We need these homes in this area. So to answer the question, I think the answer is yes, but what does that look like, right? Is that our, our statesman doing that? I mean, where does that, not only is there a groundswell from people like us on this technology uh, council, but how do we get that to a legislator? When we worked on our 3D printed home, we brought City of Tempe in right away. They were partner number one because we knew there were going to be <laughs> lots of uh, hurdles and they Help, they, they helped us navigate that directly. So again, the goal was more sustainable, more affordable, more efficient. 
as it turned out, the home was actually more expensive for us, but that's because it was the first one. But we know there's other companies out there that can really take this technology and run with it. And we do think um, something like 3D printing, something like Stackhouse, um, these are the creative solutions we're looking for as a, as a nonprofit as well. Yeah, Tempe is a good example of the leadership having a, a, a great sort of uh, sustainability mindset that helps facilitate you know, moving things faster when when it's appropriate for the population and, uh, you know, the leadership of the city is bought into it. And I think Tempe, too, which is where the studio is located and where I grew up, is <laughs> it's so landlocked. There has to be creative solutions. They're, of course, very community minded. And of course, the university is here. So it really is a great place to lock arms with leadership and find solutions that have never been created before. And then as we talked about that last question, uh, I can't help but, again, feel a sense of pride. And everything I've learned through doing these podcasts with Steve and the Arizona Tech Council, when we look at need for policy change and, and uh, legislature and the kinds of things we're talking about, I'm always thinking, okay, so these conversations, when we have problems that need to be solved, this is the very group to have this happen, right? And, and that's why that's part of why we have these conversations, not only to educate and talk about trends and topics that are happening, also looking for solutions. So we're so grateful to have you be part of this conversation today. Before we and, ask, and go ahead, that, Steve. I was just going to say that's a, a good lead into uh, the next question. Um, we were involved, we do public policy at the state and federal level and uh, try and create a business climate here that's conducive to the creation, expansion, and attraction of technology-based uh, industries, which create high-paying, high-quality jobs. So we're, we're very much involved and supported um, the, the PropTech Sandbox uh, a few years ago, which is now being um, managed at the Arizona Commerce Authority. Uh, first, can one of you sort of Tell us what PropTech is, what it means. Yeah, I mean, as a startup founder myself, it's any sort of uh, adaptation or integration of technology in order to uh, create greater efficiency or faster delivery times for housing. I like brief, concise answers <laughs> and, and small consumable bites that my brain can wrap, my non-tech brain can wrap around. <laughs> uh, we'll, we'll come back to that question as well after we take a break. And, and uh, Steve, you teed that up beautifully because you mentioned the Arizona Commerce Authority, who is our, our AZ TechCast 2022 innovation sponsor. And we'd like to take a moment to thank them for the sponsorship. And when we come back, We'll see if uh, anybody else has anything to offer around defining PropTech. Maybe you'll go a little deeper and I'll have to really lean in and listen. And then how is PropTech changing the real estate industry? So we'll come back and we'll open up with that question after this commercial break. Our streamlined pro-business approach helps you achieve more by putting less between you and future success. Less red tape. Lower taxes. Less distance separating you from the tech leaders of tomorrow. This innovative ecosystem will supply your business with tools and resources to compete in the 21st century and beyond. But your future is more than just business success. In Arizona, the lifestyle you want is at your fingertips. Explore cities known for their Southwest heritage and modern vision. Enjoy beautiful scenery and endless outdoor activities on land, water, or snow. And if you're looking for a little friendly competition, We've got plenty of teams to choose from. With constant sunshine, vibrant culture, and natural wonder, 
Arizona provides a style of living that's entirely unique. People from all over the world call our state home. From student leaders who fill the classrooms of our top-ranked universities to a skilled and abundant workforce that's ready for what's next. To the neighbors, friends, and peers we interact with daily, Arizonans are united by a pioneering spirit that moves us forward. So as you look to the future, know that it's filled with the perfect balance of innovation and high-quality living that makes life better here. back. I feel like I've always wanted to say that and never have. <laughs> uh, all right. So prop tech, any other um, information we want to add to that incredible definition that was really concise? And how is prop tech changing the real estate industry? Let's have a conversation around that for a bit. Well, from a definition standpoint, if you go deeper, <laughs> go down the rabbit hole, it could get really techy and take up a whole lot of time. And I know I can go only so deep. Uh, there's probably some people on my team that can really take it down. Uh, but at the end of the day, I agree with Ryan what it does. I think if there's a challenge to prop tech is understanding what you want this technology to do for your organization. I think a lot of people, when you take a look at prop tech, will bolt something in expecting a different change. But if you don't change your business processes or anything else to go along with that, right, all you're doing is transplanting one thing you already had with something else. And it does the exact same thing. Go figure. So, um, you know, anytime there's a, a prop tech decision to be made, I think organizations need to look inside themselves and say, okay, what are our business processes that we have to utilize or change in order to make this more effective for us? And as we start doing that, that's where that kind of technology will help create efficiencies for these organizations in the real estate market. What is that, right? Data is out there. People could find data for days, but how do you use that data? Are you using any kind of AI technology? Or you know, asking the right questions. You know, Ryan's probably doing this when he's looking for land, right? He's looking for places to put his. I'm gonna call them car, cargo boxes. Ryan, I apologize. His stack houses. That's probably a better term for it. <laughs> Taking his stack houses and where do I put these where they're going to be most effective, right? So he's looking at different data. Is there technology that he can put in place that grabs his data from different states and he can quickly and easily find it? And go. Okay, I need to go to this county, and this council to start propositioning them for what he wants to do. So uh, didn't answer your question directly, Karen. Oh, it kind perfect. of side-skirted a little bit there. <laughs> but, uh, you know, I think PropTech, was, Ryan did a great job in finding it. Maybe a little more on how PropTech has changed the real estate industry and the building industry. I think I, I just had an experience. I did a refi. Fortunately, it was when it was down at two and a quarter. And, uh, you know, I was able to <laughs> upload everything um, to a portal, never had to go anywhere to sign, just did DocuSign. Uh, so I did everything from my computer and uh, it, you know, it was a very efficient process compared to the old days. And, um, but it seems to be affecting every aspect of real estate. Maybe even as, as you pointed out, Bill, changing um, the business model in the real estate industry, maybe taking some of the intermediaries out of the equation and so on. Can, can any of you talk about how that's transforming the real estate industry? Well, I've noticed that the innovations have started transferring from just software. Um, as Dusty said, they did their first 3D printed house. Um, and so for a very long time, physical innovations in prop tech were almost unheard of because um, when at its core, real estate is the 
most uh, sort of uh, risk-averse form of investment in the United States. More than 60% of people are invested in real estate in some way in the United States. Mm. And so we tend to protect that asset class. Um, there's a saying I, I heard from an old architect buddy of mine, tried and true won't make you blue. And so there's sort of an aversion to um, adopting innovation too early or too quickly in the real estate market. And I think we've sort of pushed through as many of the software innovations that were readily available, like the low-hanging fruit, if you will. And now we're starting to see more um, openness to physical adoption or adoption of physical innovations in real estate. Ryan, would you agree that that's one of the things that came out of the post-pandemic, right? Yeah. Absolutely. So that low-hanging fruit was the first thing people grabbed our clients the same way. Steve, to your point on using prop tech for your refi, they're also doing that to buy homes. Yep. Right? People are buying homes so fast online right now, um, whether it be a new build. We have clients that are out there that are actually allowing people to build a house in a portal right, and go through the entire process without ever stepping foot in a sales office or talking to anybody. It's all done through technology. So those things exist. I think where, where you see a little more difficulty, to Ryan's point, is as you're looking at the physical structure, like how are we putting technology in place outside of what uh, the real estate industry looks at technology as smart locks, right? Home cameras, uh, refrigerators that, you know, you can uh, do your grocery list from your phone, right? Things like that. If you get away from that and look into more innovative things like doing three homes, I think that technology is going to be a little slower to be adopted. I agree with Ryan on that because the industry is in and of itself tried and true, been doing this way for 100 years and will continue doing it that way. So, you know, it's a changing mindset as well. I think we'll see an evolution as we start transitioning who are running these companies. We find that the younger companies are very, very progressive and are really looking for ways to streamline everything they do in order to get to not only a margin, but a more affordable cost. It's interesting. So I sold my home of 25 years uh, in early 2020, I think it was. It was recently in the middle of the pandemic and just recently bought a car. And like Steve was talking about with his uh, his refinance, uh, never met you know, the, the guy who was helping me finance through the uh, local credit union. Uh, and I'm thinking about Carvana and some of the changes, right? And it's just fascinating how, how wonderful innovation can be and how we need to listen to and pay attention to what, what people are needing, right? I'm thinking of, uh, was it Axon we had on a couple of episodes ago? And when they were talking about the, the technology and what they continue to come up with, it was very important from the perspective that they were sharing how they could come up with these incredible products and technology. And yet, for, for what point, right? We have to know the purpose and we know, know who we're serving to provide the technology. And so there's, I think there's that fine balance that we're talking about between mm. what we can do and why would we want to do it. And, and then, of course, there's the whole sustainability piece and responsibility piece around, you know, does it make sense? And this is, is this long term? So just some thoughts as, as we're having this conversation. Yeah, I think back in the day, we used to call that bleeding edge versus cutting edge. Right. The bleeding edge was always people that were very innovative, very creative. They would create these products and solutions, but yet nobody would adopt them. So it took time. It took an open mind. It took people testing it. Then once they did that, you get to this next wave called the cutting edge. And those people are, are right, the real movers, if you will, in any industry. Um, and then you have the lagging industries that come behind it. So 
Uh, I agree. I think Carvana is an amazing service. I've used it a few times myself. What I found unique about it was I could shop anytime I wanted to, mm-hmm. right? I could do everything I wanted to do. It all came back automated, whether I was selling a car or buying a car, getting my offer on the spot. And they made it easy. I think that's the other challenge that people need to look at with technology is how does it make things easy, easy to do business with, right? Uh, but again, it was an open mind that started that process. Imagine the post-pandemic didn't happen. We just went about our day. And if COVID had not changed the way we do business, I don't know how successful Carvana would be today compared to where it is. Mm-hmm. So, um, Bill, you um, inferred in some of your early earlier comments about IoT, like your smart yep. refrigerator, the, the Internet of Things. Uh, we have many, many uh, companies in the tech council that are involved with IoT and um uh, we actually have an IoT committee. We do a smart city and IoT conference uh, on an annual basis. Um, that seems to be transforming housing industry, right? Um, uh, every, everything in a home now seems to be smart, right? Uh, semiconductors are very inexpensive, not available right now, but uh, you know, before the supply chain issues. Um, Silver's a problem. Has that gone? Has that gone too far in some uh, circumstances, or this bleeding edge, cutting edge issue, or or are these really practical things that are improving people's lives? I think it really gets down to the demographic. It's a great question, but it's something that plagues everybody, right? The older demographic, if you will, your boomers that didn't have technology growing up, they might not adopt it as quickly. You know, I, I work with my dad on emails and how do I do this and how do I do that? Where in my generation, the Gen X generation, we were the first ones really coming up with a computer age, right? I was programming in the ninth grade. So I understand how technology works to an extent. I'm not going to say I'm a technology expert in any way, shape or form. because I know we're recording this and I want nobody <laughs> listening to this come back to me and say, I'm a <laughs> At least I'm open-minded to take a look at it. And I don't know that we can go too far. What is too far? I think we create other concerns. So when everything becomes connected, security becomes a huge issue, right? So that's the other the other issue is that, you know, with all the phishing and everything that happens with scams, just think about emails and how many people get caught in email scams. If you're not protecting your house now, how does that affect somebody who doesn't understand that, that component? So in a very secure way to get around to my point, to your question, I don't know that we've gone too far uh, we may have for a certain demographic, and I don't know we can bridge that in our time because we're just moving faster and faster and faster. Uh, I think we are getting to a point where what's next and what's conceivable, right? Um, VR is huge right now. We actually, in our office, we have a great thing. Our CEO is very progressive, very into everything new age, right? It's crypto, NFTs, VR, AR. So we actually have some of our meetings with VR goggles on. And boy, is it hilarious. The first time we did that, everybody was crying laughing. You know, we're trying to high-five each other. We're hitting our computers, but it was a great time. But if you think about what that's doing, right, it's in its infancy. And the reason we say it's in its infancy, VR has been around for a while, right? It's not a new technology. It's progressively getting better and better. We're doing it specifically because we want to interact with our clients that way. How can we show them different things through VR that we can't in a Zoom meeting? But because we're not in a real, a realistic version of that right now, like I'm not looking at you, you're not a cartoon figure, you're not a Lego figure, right? Or it's not really serious at this point. Is it going to become that? I do believe it is the next way we're going to communicate because think of a world I can open up to you through VR, 
right? Think about buying a house. Ryan using it to, hey, what does a cargo home look like? Oh, we have these bottles. Let's walk through that. And you can get a realistic feel, if you will, of what that looks like. I think that's the kind of technology. It's been around in home building probably about four or five years now uh, when it's really starting to hit the market where you can take your phone, put it on your land, take a picture, and it would visualize your house on that land for you. That technology has been out for a while. But again, that's the bleeding edge stuff that builders aren't quite ready for. So I love it. I have love VR. And I think it's some place that we can take people that, you know, the boomers can understand, put it on, turn it on, and you're ready to go. How about in the affordable housing space, either Ryan or Dusty, uh, are you seeing IoT being used? Are you seeing, uh, uh, Bill hadn't quite got there yet, but he's talking about the metaverse, right? We're, we're all going to be entering the metaverse. We're there. <laughs> uh, yeah, we're there. Um, how, how are those kinds of technologies, uh, if at all, affecting the affordable space? I'll let you go first, Ryan. <laughs> um, so, think quick, think quick. <laughs> no, no. Uh, what comes to mind is a company uh, like Proppy, um, who is trying to uh, convert property titles and eliminate escrow and title companies entirely by transacting real estate via NFTs. And it's something that I truly believe in, but I think that it's running into the same headwind that companies like Zillow and Trulia ran into when they tried to make the MLS system a national system that everyone could search. And that is that a lot of people make their living delivering that service. The Association of Realtors spends more money lobbying in Washington than any other industry any other industry. And so if they're going to replace um, title and escrow companies, they're going to need to figure out how to transition those people to become partners instead of um, people who get left behind. Um, But I think that that's probably where it's going to go. I mean, I'm sure Dusty would love to be able to transfer ownership of a house with one click and just pay gas fees on the blockchain instead of having to pay 2% out of every transaction in order to, to do a good deed. Yeah, the Realtors Association is powerful at the state level as well. Um, yeah. And there are a lot of people's uh, livelihoods that are on the, on the line. But on the other hand, you, you can't stop progress ultimately, right? And uh, yeah. it's, it's like, uh, you know, we have Waymo as a member and um, companies like Too Simple who are going to create autonomous vehicles and uh, autonomous trucks. Uh, you know, that's going to eliminate truck drivers in, in America. That's like 25 million people. You know, that's a lot of lost jobs. And then uh, those people have to be retrained. So same thing in uh, in real estate. And so all those things have to be considered, particularly by the politicians, right, who uh, control a lot of the, the regulatory environment. I do think that Arizona has an advantage in that they're one of the first states to codify into law that blockchain Uh, blockchain contracts are as enforceable as any other form of contract. Um, It is one of the reasons that I am looking forward to doing more business in Arizona. Um, We're looking to do an NFT play for our homes as well. I think, Ryan, doesn't Florida also do the same thing? Mm -hmm. There was a a big news article about that. Like the first house was bought through either, it was either NFT or crypto, one or the other. Yeah. Right. Yep, that was probably they did uh, several overseas, but that was the first one done in the United States. 
It's interesting, it, which creates a whole other set of questions, right? When you start to do that, what is an NFT worth in the, in the blockchain? It does have some variability today. It's not as stable as USD, clearly. Yeah. Uh, I've got one NFT story and every team member I'm talking to that can hear me now knows exactly the story. But we do know somebody that's made an absolute fortune on NFTs. It's fantastic. Mm-hmm. But does it stay at that value, right? And then how does that fluctuation help or hurt an organization who's trying to get into that? A whole other set of, probably another podcast just for that component. Hmm. Yeah, talking about blockchain technology and how that affects our, uh, our day-to-day stuff. A couple of stories I could share. Number one, I mean, we chase a lot of paper here at Habitat. We have a huge affordable repair side of the organization um, beyond just the, the new builds and um, getting people qualified and it, it can get tedious and a lot of man hours and, and, and expensive, um, but we're doing hundreds of repairs versus, um, you know, 20 to 30 new builds every year. Because uh, in a lot of ways, especially during the pandemic, the most affordable home was the one people were already in and we wanted to help them stay in that home uh, safely. The other piece about the innovation that I, I really love what I'm hearing is we had to go to Atlanta yeah, to fly out to the mothership and make a, a presentation about uh, about the 3D printed home, and we had a room of a hundred or so other habitats that were you know just full of questions. We felt like we had kind of uh, moved into the intersection, but we we had to say you know this kind of innovation can it, it absolutely has to come from the nonprofit sector because we're trying to tackle some of the world's biggest problems, maybe not housing, but of course this kind of innovation would come from uh, a nonprofit sector where we have this sort of double bottom line. And um, so I just, to show, I'm, I guess what I'm trying to show is we're, we're still faced with a lot of paper chasing, but we, we still wanted to show that we, we, have to, um, we have to take some risks because um, there was one talking point that got scratched early um, and that was, the market's crazy. We have to try something crazy. You know, the house we've always been building is getting more expensive every day. What if this new technology could drive down costs? We have to get started and we have to try something different. I guess that that was my long answer. Sorry, Karen. Oh, it was perfect. <laughs> how was it how was it accepted by your peers? Well, they really appreciated our our transparency, um, our lessons learned book is very thick and we're still going through it. Uh, we're still penciling out the costs of that home. Um, everything was donated, but it was certainly indicative of what happens when everybody brings their very, very best to a project. Um, I don't know if you know Mark Candelaria. He's uh, kind of designer to the home at, home designer to the stars here in the Valley. And uh, he's on our board and it was his team that helped us really help the rubber meet the road in terms of design and getting it done while another team brought the printer over. But again, if we just hadn't gotten started and tried something, um, we would still be talking about this uh, a year later, you know. I'm seeing some great synergies between Ryan and Dusty. (laughs) 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 Right? Very fast, very quick, mobile. If they move, it goes with them. It's occurred to me. Yeah. But so, Dusty, you know, I we definitely appreciate where you guys are coming from. And there's some unique challenges within the nonprofit world. You know, our organization gives back 1% of our time to nonprofits. We do help out 
whether it be free or at a reduced rate, depending on what the project is. But, you know, we can take technology and kind of use Dusty as the example of this. And I'm not trying to point fingers Dusty at all, but think about the 300 people or whatever that went to the mothership. What if that was VR? Think about the money savings there, right? When we start talking about technology and warranty and chasing paper, there are technologies out there that can do all that for you. Uh, the challenge in that particular case would be the end user using it correctly, right? Mm-hmm. But what we have seen is most nonprofits have a challenge with budget. Like, how do you get something done? Like, if you want to go crazy and you want to try something brand new, that's got to come away from somewhere else. So how do we solve for that? And I, I think technology, again, going back to what this is all about, plays a huge role in affordable housing because there are ways to do things more efficiently that save money in nonprofits that can be put towards more physical objects like a home or something of that sort. Would you agree with that statement, Dusty? Absolutely. I mean, that's the reason uh, we wanted to have this very conversation on, on, because um, we can't keep doing it the same way. I, well, I just like to say that a lot of people don't recognize that there are true entrepreneurs in the not-for-profit section right. as well, right? Uh, it, that's how not-for-profits become hugely successful yeah. in whatever their endeavor is, is because you've got people who are entrepreneurial, are willing to try uh, things, take risks, and so on. And that's what I see happening at Habitat for Humanity. And I think Karen wants to go to a commercial. Karen does want to go to commercial. We want to make sure we give a proper shout out to the 2022 Tech Advocate sponsor, JDH Insights. Let's hear from them now. Thank you, JDH Insights, for being our 2021 Tech Advocate sponsor. A leader in coaching and executive development, JDH Insights is committed to helping organizations cultivate and leverage their most important and complex asset, their humans. Visit JDHinsights.com to enhance leadership and improve team dynamics to take your business to the next level. Steve, are you looking to me for the next question? <laughs> no, I'm, I'm ready. We talked a little bit earlier about the, the fact that the Arizona Tech Council is involved in uh, public policy. What role do you all see public policy playing in helping to uh, stabilize uh, the real estate market, address some of the issues that we've talked about today, whether it be the rising prices, affordable uh, housing, or um, the adoption of of, uh, more efficient techniques and technologies? Is, Is public policy playing an important role? Oh, absolutely. From my perspective, it almost feels like it goes without saying, but stability, stability, stability. We need the same rules. We need to know that those rules are going to be in place for um, a considerable period of time. All of those things go to our ability to innovate within those rules. If the ground underneath you is always moving, um, it makes it very hard to plot out uh, an efficient path forward. I think, uh, Steve, to that question, not really sure I know what the answer to that would be or, or how to weigh in other than I sure there's probably some policies that need to we just talked about speeding up the permit process right for people like Dusty. So I think it plays has uh, a role, if you will, but I don't know that it could be legislated across. I, I think the markets are what the markets are. You know, we've had conversations in the past. Correct me wrong is right. Is it Yibia and Nibia? Yimbi right? and Nimbi. All right, Yimbi and Nimbi. Yeah. And, you know, I, I think that's always going to exist. 
you know, to your point and protecting, right? People want to kind of circle around and protect what they have because it is an investment, right? They don't want to see the risk. So yeah, there are those two types of, of I guess, markets, if you will, right? Did I get that right? They're markets. So um, that's why I'm not sure that public policy can solve it. Can it play a role? Absolutely. Will it solve it long-term? I just don't know. I mean, how many more laws do we need or rules we need? I think there needs to be a level playing ground. Right. I think uh, people like Ryan should have a fair shake um, as he's doing his stuff to everybody else out there. And I don't know, Ryan, is, is that even a, an issue right now? Do you get a fair shake, do you think? Well, well I'd say no. It's okay. Uh, We're all friends here. <laughs> <laughs> so it calls to mind a specific uh, situation we had where the state passed something called the GPLET, where you were able to abate your property taxes for a period of time if you could demonstrate that your development was. Uh, doing good for the community um, and increasing the tax base. And we were actually the last project to apply for that program in Tucson before it was decided that that program had been abused and that they needed to put everything on hold and figure out what was going on before they decided to pass it, um, any other projects. And so that put our project on hold inevitably. What I know uh, to your point, Bill, is that it will both Ryan and Bill is that Business leaders want certainty, right? Because yep. then they can plan, they can budget, they can do all the things that uh, business leaders do and hopefully predict their outcome for their shareholders or or even their employees, right? Maintaining uh, the, the staff they have. I think uh, public policy is not always what uh, they can do for you, but what they could do to you if you're not involved, right? So legislators are always thinking of new laws, right? That's what they do. Uh, I think I think they introduced 1,800 bills in this uh, session of the state legislature. So uh, we're down there trying to protect the interests of our tech industry businesses uh, from what they could do to them as, right. a, as opposed to what they could do for them. So sometimes that's uh, just as important. Is there any um, specific legislation out there right now that any of you are aware of, either at the state level or the federal level, that's focused on the real estate industry? Well, there was that big promise um, from the White House about incentivizing uh, ADUs and asking FHA to offer some sort of financing for ADUs, which I'm for, a huge... For our listeners, what's an ADU? An auxiliary dwelling unit. So basically um, what you would used to call a mother-in-law suite or mm-hmm. a granny flat, an additional separate um, living space in your backyard. And and do you know where that's at? Um. I don't know how far they've gone down that road, but anytime an entity as powerful as the White House says, we are going to make sure that this is a priority, uh, business leaders line up. And so that definitely puts a thumb on the scale in favor of everyone who's been moving towards ADUs. So I think um, one of the things that we didn't go very deeply into, and uh, I would like to hear more about and and maybe start with Ryan. Can you talk a little bit about your offering and what it does in the market, what impact it might have? Sure. So the goal of Stackhouse is to deliver you a home that meets your needs and allow you to take it with you anywhere you go. So the vision is multiple structures in every city 
in multiple different neighborhoods within that city that each can hold your shipping container home. And so you can lay that home out however best you'd like. And if you get transferred for work or if you just decide that you no longer want to live in North Dakota, you'd like to come live in Phoenix, instead of having to rent or sell your house in North Dakota, you just take it out of the tower, put it on a trucker train and ship your home with all of your mm-hmm. belongings um, down to Phoenix. What's and the, What's the square footage of a shipping container so our listeners know how much space we're talking about? So we're starting off at 320 square feet for just a studio or a one bedroom, but you'd be able to connect um, multiple units together. Um, And I'm here in uh, Austin also touring builders. um, And there's a very prominent uh, shipping container home builder here who went from 100 units a year in 2020. They're doing over 250 um, last Mm -hmm. year. And they're looking to double that number again as market adoption increases and people start to see, okay, these are not, um, it's not going to be hot just because it's a metal box. It's insulated and it has an air conditioner um, and it can be actually turned into a beautiful space. Do we have one um, in, in Arizona? No, no, not yet. Can we do a... Um, Keep our fingers crossed. Yeah. And I want to I wanna see it on what... Why can't I remember the name of this? What? On VR? On VR. Yeah, yeah. On the Oculus. <laughs> on the Oculus. I just bought my son one for his promotion okay. uh, and played with it for the first time. So can I see it on an Oculus? No, just kidding. <laughs> Not yet. By the way, you could use VR in a 320 square foot facility to, to make it feel like you're in a much bigger place. Yes. You... You'd be surprised. There are a lot of people in tiny houses who recommend if it's just you to just get a 3D oh, yeah. viewer of some kind because yeah. the TV takes up some real estate. Yeah, absolutely. And having you right, quick question on your offering as well. Out of curiosity, there's a big trend, obviously, with people buying land and putting container homes on their land, mm-hmm. right? Not in, in a in a vertical rise like you're doing with Stackhouse. Um, would you take those and like lease out? Hey, here's a rack for you to put your home in if they have a single as well. Yeah, absolutely. As long as it meets a certain level of criteria, right? We can't have just cowboy builders who are doing whatever they want. Um, as But as long as it's a code compliant building, absolutely. Interesting. Uh, I think eventually um, we hope to be an international home offering where you can buy one house and travel the world um, and all of your outlets remain the same. It's your fridge. You fill it with snacks before you ship it to Japan. <laughs> Dusty, a number of years ago, I donated a car to a Habitat for Humanity. Can you Thank talk? You. To, yes. Can I? Can you talk to us a little bit about um, how people could get involved with Habitat for Humanity, either as one of those unskilled laborers or uh, support in other ways? Yeah, I appreciate you asking that. Um, I just want to jump back quickly to your policy question. I'll go on the record saying, you know, the market doesn't work for everyone equally, you know, especially for those at the lower earning levels. Market rate is just, it's not affordable. Uh, Locally, we need to take another look at zoning and regulation in Arizona, especially inclusionary zoning. And Brian, I appreciate you mentioning what HUD rolled out. And we encourage, we want to encourage Congress to move on that plan, pass that thing. But we know real change happens here at the local level, boots on the ground. So we appreciate our our, uh, our city partners and their aggressive housing plans. If you want to get involved with Habitat for Humanity, we invite everybody to visit habitatcaz.org. 
And right there, you can either shop at one of our uh, Valley Restores, and that those uh, proceeds go to support the mission of Habitat. You can make a donation right there online. You can donate your car if you'd like, Steve. <laughs> Thank you for that. Or you can sign up to volunteer. We host more than 10,000 volunteers annually to help us build, work in the Restores, repair homes. Um, we have a variety of things. Uh, we even have volunteers chasing that paper the old-fashioned way. So, What's your website for people to get in contact? It's habitatcaz.org, like habitatcentralarizona.org, or you can just Google Habitat for Humanity. Great. Bill, anything uh, you want to say about your organization to sort of wind us up here? A shameless plug? Yeah. <laughs> when it comes to the real estate market, whether it be construction, home building, you know, our whole goal is to truly understand what our clients' needs are. And we believe we're really transformational with our clients in understanding, hey, at first, what are they trying to accomplish? What are they willing to do before we even get involved in a project? Because we don't want to be the company that goes in and just does exactly what you have before and you walk away and you're upset. So, you know, our whole goal in the name of Puzzle Tech came out of being in the not-for-profit space first. So we like to give back. We're willing to have conversation with people, even if it's outside of our comfort zone. We can at least come in and have a conversation to just put some thoughts out there for people. If it works out, great. If it doesn't, on to the next one we go. But technology solutions, we can pretty much do most things that most people need, including AI stuff. So hmm. thank you for the opportunity. Great. Well, thank you all. Yes, I feel like I would be remiss if I didn't ask this last question. So it's going to be a lightning round. <laughs> what are your predictions for Arizona's real estate market over the next few years? Can you can you make that a lightning round? And then, uh, or let's do an or. Are you optimistic about the future of housing in Arizona? We're absolutely optimistic about the future of housing in Arizona. Love it. Thank you. Any other thoughts? Bullish. I think the market's going to stay the way it is for a bit. Uh, we're going to see some supply chain, hopefully relief at some point. And which will, with any luck, will drive down some of the, the pricing that we see now. If interest rates can stay, there's a lot of factors that go into it, right? But still bullish on the market and where we are in Arizona. Mm-hmm. My thought is that it'll remain high and continue um, sort of at this level as long as interest rates remain the same and the Fed or uh, FHA uh, maintains their same lending criteria. Such a robust conversation. And it goes so quickly, right? It's only been 60 minutes and we always feel like we could invite you back on for several segments. So hopefully we will consider that again. Daryl, our producer, um, would love for you to stay on with us a couple minutes after we close out the segment so we can do a couple photos <laughs> so that when we produce uh, publish this as a podcast, we have our, our faces there to, to match with it for those that don't watch the video. So again, <laughs> grateful for you being here today. Stay with us after we close. We want to thank you uh, for your expertise and your time today. You've been listening to AZ TechCast brought to you by Phoenix Business Radio with Business Radio X. Today's AT- AZ TechCast was brought to you by the Arizona Commerce Authority, the state's leading economic development organization with a streamlined mission to grow and strengthen Arizona's economy. We are grateful for Arizona Commerce Authority. And many thanks as well to JDH Insights, the 2022 Tech Advocate Sponsor. Visit jdhinsights.com to enhance leadership and improve team dynamics to take your business to the next level. If you're listening and you're interested in being a podcast participant or a sponsor for AZ Tech Council's AZ TechCast, contact marketing at aztechcouncil.org to learn more about the opportunities to further position yourself as a tech expert, influencer, and innovator. Until next time, Karen Nowicki, thank you for joining us for AZ TechCast. 
Thank you for joining us for this episode of AZ TechCast with Arizona Technology Council, featuring leading tech and business experts that help influence and shape our great state and the industries they serve.